Uh, today is Monday, uh, the 13th of February, 2023, if I'm correct. And uh, I did something this morning. Uh, we'll see if it has any impact. I um, reached someone to, re- to reach someone else. To uh, I gave the name of one of the members of the Knesset who uh, owes me. I, he interviewed me and uh, I came out for his party. And I, I just made a small suggestion. I don't know why no one has suggested it. Every last person from the religious parties from Likud, you begin your talk, we want to be like the United States. The United States Supreme Court, the politicians appoint the judges. We don't want to be different here. And, and uh, begin your talk that way, whether Liebman will understand it or not is not that important, but the newspapers will pick it up and intelligent people who are on the left, maybe their eyes will open. All right. Anyway, I've received a lot of questions. People uh, give me more credit than I deserve. And I want to respond briefly because some of these questions require, I've spoken about for endless hours over the generations. Uh, This is from a wonderful student, Eli Goikadosh. I don't know how he pronounces it in English, but it's Goikadosh. And um, he writes, look what's going on in America. Kids are educated in yeshiva for 12 plus years, and they do mitzvot habitually. Mitzvot on a shimulumada. I've spoken about that. Even worse, go off the derech. There are so many Jews who are not affiliated with Judaism. Intermarriage is a disaster. Some Jews go to the Far East in service of spirituality, while Yahadot is the source of all spirituality. All right, these are real problems. The assimilation in America is overwhelming, the intermarriage. We're, we're getting static, so it's, there's something the matter with, with, with the... Um, Maybe we should try the old system uh, next time and see if that works. All right. Anyway, we'll do the best we can. Uh, The the answer to all this is very simple. We have to make teaching a desirable occupation. Uh, The best minds have to go into teaching. We need Tomidei Chacham. We need people of strength, ability, and uh, we have to inculcate within our children a sense of pride of who we are, where we come from, what we've achieved. Uh, in the state of Israel, a lot is being done. I can tell you in the Chinuch at Dati, they're constantly talking and evaluating. And uh, there is a lot more success today than in the past. Uh, they're trying to enhance the status of teachers. They're also concerned with the Golan. There's a whole movement on to send shluchim to teach all over the world. They prepare them, they teach them, they help them, they educate them. And uh, but these are the real problems we live with. If I could have any influence, I would say to President Herzog and I would say to Rosh Mateha Khali. Uh, they call him a lieutenant general. To me, he should be the major general. My English is different than theirs here. Uh, the head of the army, for the first time we have uh, Shema Shabbos, head of the army, put Kippur on. If you care about the Jews in the world, 
let them see you with a kippah. Herzog is a Shomesh Shabbos. Wear a kippah. Jews will see you with a kippah. They'll ask, what is it? And once a Jew starts asking, uh, I refer you to my work on the Rav, where the Rav makes this point. Once he asks, the results can be fabulous. Another question I got, which I've dealt with in the past from uh, Dr. Aryeh Berkeley, and by the way, I thank everyone for the nice words they say about my Shayurim. I, I don't take it for granted. I appreciate your compliments. Uh, Dr. Berkeley asked about the Hasidim. Remember, I raised this issue that these are not real Hasidim today. Hasidim were involved in reaching out. And all we have today is building fences outside of Chabad and maybe Breslov. And the answer is very simple. When Hasidus began, they were suffering. There was tremendous depression. The Shabtai's uh, fee fiasco. They keep the Jews Jewish. They had to reach out and give them a new way of life, the Hasidic way of life. For the last hundred years, the Western world, leaving the ghetto, has been so powerful that it breaks down every vestige of Torah and tradition. Now, in order to keep Hasidus going, they have to build a ghetto around themselves. And that explains the Ger, and it explains Vishnitz, and it explains uh, many of the Rujina dynasties. Uh, but there it explains bells to a certain degree, but now I think we've achieved the balance and equilibrium. Uh, Chassidus is here to stay. I have many students who, uh, with, who write me emails with all their sins. Chassidus is here to stay, whether I like it or you like it or Vic likes it or not, they're on the map and they can afford to be open today. And Bells has become more open. They actually have a, a branch that deals with Balei Tshuva. Uh, Chabad is Chabad. I don't have to elaborate. But this explains it, and uh, it's a natural reaction to what is happening in the world. Um, Rabbi Moshe Katz, responding to yesterday's Shia, uh, told me another story about Rav Hutna, which is worth repeating. Uh, he had a way of seeing things. One that I witnessed. Many years ago there was a famous Fabrengen in 770 in which the Rebbe said at times we need to be, we have to fife undeveloped, fife, disregard the world, spit at the world. And he went on to say that everyone should fife together and thousands of Hasidim whistled with the Rebbe. The next morning I happened to be in the lobby of the yeshiva and Rabbi Hutner came in. And there happened to be a fellow standing there just casually whistling. Rabbi Hutner gave a big laugh and said, There is the Lubavitcher. Who is the Lubavitcher who's whistling here? All right. Uh, now, coming back to, this is fascinating, coming back to Pesh Sheyurim about the mixed dancing. Remember in the Sunday class we dealt with it halachically and uh, this was America. And uh, I got an email which by chance I saw it. Why? One at the spam. How does the automatic intelligence decide what should go into spam? This is a legitimate email. It's by Iris Sturm, his father 
Ephraim Stern headed up the, uh, the, 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 the young Israel. Exactly, I knew his father. And uh, he heard me about young Israel. And my father uh, had a great story about how McSpensing finally ended at the young Israel annual conventions. In the 1950s, 60s, they held their annual convention at the Pioneer Hotel in the Catskills. Saturday night, the hotel would provide the entertainment, which included mixed dancing. The leaders of Young Israel could not get the hotel to stop offering the mixed dancing entertainment. Into one year, a young Hasidic folk singer was indicted it was invited to the kumsits of singing, lasting into the wee hours of the morning. No one left to go to the hotel's dancing. That singer ultimately became famous. His name, Schlemler Karlbach. And that's how mixed dancing came to an end at the annual conventions. As a postscript, and this is art school, this is, uh, this is a Fadobenkeit course. You see, when you teach a kid to lie, he's going to lie more than just on this. Right? He's not going to mention YU. He was taught YU is a bunch of apikars. But once you teach him to lie, it becomes part of his gestalt. As a postscript, I fast forward to the 1990s when orthodoxy was shifting to the right. My father penned a proposed article for the Young Israel Viewpoint which is the Young Israel magazine, about this incident. The National Council refused to print it in an attempt of revisionist history. It became right-wing. They could not admit that the Young Israel once had an extensive issue. So I wrote back to him that in this very building there's a great Talmud Chacham who heads up Tovah Shraka. We grew up together in the Bronx. His parents met at a young Israel dance, and they would sadik him, but that was the era, all right. Uh, I, I'm sure there are many more. Uh, finally, a Talmud uh, sent me a, uh, Binyamin sent me a um, beautiful uh, story here from Mishpacha magazine. It's... Uh, Rabbi Silva's yard site, and it's snowing in Cincinnati, and they gathered up a minion to daven at his matzeva. And that's, it's a simple matzeva, like the rub. I was in Boston, matzeva's right here, Rabbi Silva, here's the matzeva. A simple matzeva, the rub too in Boston, what's very fascinating about the rub's matzeva, it's brown. Do you know why it's brown? That was his favorite color. And uh, it's it's brown. Yeah, he no. In my time, that you could tell, he wore a brown hat. It was his favorite color. Whatever the reasons are. All right. Now, uh, Charlie, I want to come back and uh, entertain you. Believe me, I'm shaking. I'm a kid. I'm um, riding on the A train. And then New York was a little different than a little friendlier. And Washington Heights was more Jewish. And I was a big matmut already as a kid. Now I can't do it because when I ride the bus, I can't read. My, you know, my eyes are not what they. What, what a kid can read, even if it's shaking. Uh, so I always traveled with the Mishnah Brewer. And here I am sitting in the A train, 
getting on in Washington Heights, I don't know, it's going maybe downtown, west side, B'nai Akiva, something. And uh, a man sits down next to me, a Jewish man, and I see he's looking, you know, at what I'm reading, and finally he couldn't contain himself, and he says to me, you, you understand that? With a German accent. I say, yes. He says, oh, I envy you. And he starts telling me, and I'm a kid, high school kid, starts telling me, I'm from Frankfurt. I grew up in Rav Hirsch's Kehila of Breuer. I belong here to Rav. I'm a dentist, he says. I just can read Hebrew. I don't always understand it. Our mother said, he says, Rav Hirsch is perish. My wife wears a shaitel. And he says, and I, I'm jealous of you that you can read that little print and understand it. And I'm sitting there, you know, without the knowledge I have today. Oh my God, his wife wears a shaitel. Oh, hey, but I don't want to upset you. I had Rebbeim Allah Litvisha who wore a shaitel. Who covered their hair? Maybe when, all right, outside the house, perhaps they put a hat on, maybe when they went to shoe. I, I, I don't want to elaborate. The only Rebbe I had whose wife covered her hair, and Charlie, you know who? Rob Weiss. His wife was a Yekit. She was the daughter of Dr. Muller, the head of the Tehillah. She was the only one outside of that. I don't want to go one by one by one by one. Who's what? And he's telling me his wife is wearing a shekel. And I thought at that time to wear a shekel, he had a, that the women shaved their hair off. You follow like the Ungarisha. Uh, my wife has shekels. My daughters are this. My daughters have shekels. Who shaves their hair off? Uh, you know, certain affairs. You want to appear. You have to look nice with a shekel. All right. And where okay. was that from that they didn't uh, cover their hair? You want me to now give a two-hour lecture on oh. that? Relax. <laughs> the shiner is how the rabbanim let them get away with it. Rabbi Belkin, I remember he once gave a talk in the early 60s, and he dealt, I remember in the talk he said we were, in Europe he says there were some women who covered their hair, most didn't, but there was never difficult words between them. They all got along. Uh, the whole question of covering hair, is it something subjective or objective? If it's objective, then a woman always has to cover her hair, a married woman. If you view it as something that represents the society in which you live, then when you live in a society where women walk around and, and their hair is not covered, so it could be the obligation is modified. It's then with with Kriyat Shmakaneget, the woman whose head is not covered, etc. I think it's in Simonai and Hay. Famous Arachashuchan, Reb Meisha quotes it. Uh, it's the same thing like sleeves. How long does a woman's sleeves have? I saw it sit Kaniyat. Cap sleeves. In the 1950s, they walked around like that. Uh, I, I have a problem. They require women to wear stockings. 
I don't know. If a man, I don't want to be vulgar, but if a man is excited by a woman's toes, I think there's a problem with the man's mentality, not the woman's toes. But I just read, they interviewed a woman in one of the Yalonim for Shabbos, and, and at Sadekit, and they asked her, well, what's the most difficult thing? She says, wearing socks in the summer. So don't wear socks in the summer, you understand? But it, 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 there's a whole... Halakhal Amaisa, Bizman Hazer, because everyone walks around naked, we dafka should insist that our women cover their hair. You understand? I don't want to take any litvish kulat, but I have a lot to say. I actually... I spoke about this many years ago in the Kolel, and I, re- I cited a Sefer Mitzvah that came out in New Haven, Rabbi Horowitz. So it's a big, the Rav held him to be bigger than Rabbi Moshe. You should know that. The Rav, the, he was a London Mufak. In his Sefer Mitzvah, there's a long footnote explaining why women didn't cover their hair. And I cited it in class. It's a long footnote. Uh, tens and tens of lines. And the Sefer, everyone is, the family, we published the Sefer. They sent me a copy afterwards. I have it at home. They republished the Sefer because so many people bothered them for it after I cited it in class. Okay, now, the explanation to this is very simple. And here I cite from Marcus translating a German article that Rav Yechiel Yaakov wrote. And here you see the, the heart of the difference between Litvisha Yiddishkeit and the Germans. And you see how Rabbi Weinberg, how Yechiel Yaakov had such understanding. And he, Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov explained, traditional Judaism let me not lose the place, in Eastern Europe was fresh and pulsating. It was there that Torah study for its own sake, the powerful idea of the yeshiva still had great importance. Indeed, a man lacking in Torah scholarship was regarded as nothing less than an inferior Jew. In contrast to this, German Jews study Torah not for its own sake, but in order to know how to regulate their lives. Furthermore, ignorance of Torah was not viewed by the German Orthodox in such a negative light. In short, a Judaism without Torah scholarship was to the East European Jews what a Judaism without divine service would have been to the German Jews. This paragraph is so insightful. You see, here's Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov. He totally conquers Germany. He totally integrates. But he could never pull Slapatka Mir out of his self-image. And if you ask them, you want to be from? First, spend good years in Eastern Europe, in Lita, in White Russia, and then come back to Germany and master the academic approach. And you see the insight here. In Lita, why did you study Torah? Talmud Torah connected Kulam. You study, I'm, 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 I'm now in Baba Batra. I'm 
dealing with making wine. What is wine? Uh, how much water can you add, etc. To me, that's this halachal amaisha. I make wine. I go into uh, Osherat, I go into Rami Levi, I buy a bottle of wine. What's the big deal? Litta, Kudshim, Tarat. Torah is Torah. It's a mitzvah unto itself. In Germany, yeah, you study Torah to know how to live a Jewish life. Study. Kitzah Shulchan Aruch, Rav Hirsch, the periodical Yeshurin would have articles. Halachal Amaisa, the godlet of Torah, Torah Lishma, that didn't exist in Germany. It was utilitarian. See, that's the difference between a yeshiva and a rabbinic seminary. Germany, you had Hildesheimer Rabbinic Seminary, but what did you study? It was all geared towards the rabbinate. Jewish history, Jewish philosophy, you had to get a doctorate, a rabbi without a doctorate, they wouldn't give ordination until you showed you were getting a doctorate from a neighboring university. See, it's an entire different approach. And as he says to a Litvak, I've told you more than once, I respect every Jew. That's outwardly. Inwardly? If as Nishta London? Don't want to use vocal language, but uh, I respect the uh, animals too. You meet a monkey, you have to tilt your cap to him. Uh, guy is not a London. Nishta Talmud Chacham. Come on, what, what have you wasted your life? It's a literature approach. Germany, they didn't look down at Hamamaratz, you see. What counted was observance, dedication. And, and I have to tell you, this was a class of culture. Uh, when when Germans, uh, for the sake of argument, uh, Yeshiva Bacher walked in, Charlie, you're real Germans, not Eisjitten? Uh, what are you? What are you? Because the Eisjitten were different already. Real Germans. So Yeshiva Bacher walked in in the 1880s, 1890s. They looked at him like a, uh, a bottling. That would be the word, a bottling. Uh, the 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 literature looked at the yakis, you know, and all that goes with it, but they're not lamdanim. Something is lacking, and you can hear an echo of this in the rub, where in my second volume, where the rub explains, I translate it from the Yiddish, where the rub explains, where am I different than Rav Shemshuafel Hirsch? And he speaks about the chazan, the choir, that played well in Germany, it would not play well in Lithuania. You follow? This is, this is the difference. And if you've been exposed, if you've been exposed to the Litvische Welt, you, it, it seeps into your blood. And this was the amazing thing. I'll give you the source uh, later today or next week, but I'll give you an interesting source. This was the amazing thing, that as much as Hildesheimer Germanized, they were a culture, they were at home. Germany, Berlin, 
After World War One, their best students took off for liquor. And I told you, my young Rebbe, Reb Shmuel Lezavov, told us he maybe he supported himself by a few hours a day, he learned with a German refugee in the yeshiva. And you read the memoir literature, you see the Germans, then the Americans came in the 30s, the Americans came, and, and this was Lipa. You couldn't shake it out of your veins. Now, Mark's volume is very impressive. And uh, like I said last week, I don't want to minimize uh, the fact that there you're going to find critique. There's plenty of critique of my writings on the rub. And uh, nevertheless, I can understand why the critique. And that's what I explained last week. These were very complex people. And you saw it through your own prisma for your own understanding. Um, I said something yesterday in class, which I repeated this morning. Someone asked me again, called me from Shalavim, uh, and I, I took two minutes, and then I rest my case. It seems Rabbi Meiselman claims that the Rav uh, regretted his becoming a big Zionist in his later years. This is so far from the truth. See, people don't understand. I once met people said, Rabbi Rakefet, you criticize what's going on in Israel. What are you, an anti-Zionist? I said, what do you think? We're monkeys? We just follow blindly? Uh, of course I differ with certain politicians. You understand what I'm saying? doesn't make me nothing less of a Zionist. But believe me, I differ with many parties, including Agudit Yisrael. You, you gotta, you're not going to be able to convince me that Agudit Yisrael is from any party that doesn't teach its youngsters Tachnit uh, and doesn't encourage its youngsters to save the Jewish people by going into the army in Mohammed Mitzvah. You're not from, you've ripped out endless Tape Gemara, Psakim of the Rambam, etc., etc., so, of course, I have a right to criticize. Allah Kama Vakama, Machalalei Shabbos, Ochlein Nevelet, and Trefat, and Chometz on Pesach, hospitals. But that doesn't make me less of a Zionist, it makes me even more of a Zionist. So, uh, the Rav could be critical, absolutely. But let me tell you one story that I, when I first heard it, and this is a near eyewitness, it's not a secret. But the family said, ah, maybe we shouldn't publicize it yet. Today it should be publicized all over. The mid-70s, uh, President Shazar, or early, whatever, it's the love's last decade of activity. President Shazar decided to give an award to a Machaneich in Chutzlaretz who teaches Torah and helps establish Jewish identity. The Rav was selected. The Rav couldn't travel to Israel by that date. He was weak and ill, widowed. His children, Tova and Rabarin, Dr. Tova and Rabarin, accepted the award for him with the family, and it was a beautiful event at Shazar's, uh, uh, the, the, the little palace on Rehov uh, Al-Kharizi. It's not the presidential mansion we have today. And 
they gave the Ravitschek, I don't know, 18,000 lira, whatever, a substantial sum. So they called the Rav, Tata, what should we do with it? He said, endorse it and give it to Mekhaz Yeshivat Bnei Akiva in Tel Aviv. I rest my case. Okay? No, please, don't tell me the Rav changed his mind. Okay. My dear students, we have arrived at a very important moment. Yesterday you saw Rav Yechiel uh, Yaakov as a posik mufak, a London mufak. An amazing chiva with... Uh, no one said as much and handled everything about uh, men, women, kishut, standing in front of a mirror, uh, trimming the white hairs out of your beard, dyeing your beard, etc., etc. The tshuva I want to touch upon now is the most famous tshuva that Rabbi Chiel Yaakov ever wrote. It has been studied and restudied by anyone who touches upon the history of Torah. Uh, the halachic part of the tshuva is less important than the hashkafic and emotional part. Although I'll show you later today or next week how this catches up even with a guy named Aaron Rakefet. I am now quoting, and as I explained to you yesterday, this tshuva I'm quoting from the first edition of the Sri Deish. It's not the revised edition. Charlie, do you have the Sri Deish, the revised? I, there, there's a chart someplace that tells you from the first edition to the second edition. I couldn't find it. And Avram Abra is in France now. I can't, he put it out. So I'm quoting what I have in my notes from 50 years ago. Sri uh, Deish. It's, let me, Sri Deyesh, do I have the Chelek here? It's Siman Chet. I believe it's Chelek Bet Siman Chet. Let me, let, let me just see if, um, if he gives, I want to just be sure I'm telling it right. Uh, he keeps the Sri Deyesh. Yeah, Sri Deyesh Chelek Bet Siman Chet. Uh, it was written after World War II. We don't have an exact date. And uh, it's obvious from the tshuva, because he says, it was written after World War II. What's the question? You don't really know who he's writing to. He just says, Mahari um, Meya. I don't know who that could be. It certainly can't be a Sachameya, because if it's right after World War II, Rabbi Sachamei was not yet famous. At, at least I don't think so. I, I may be wrong, but could be Mahari Meir is two first names, Yehuda Meir. I don't know. And uh, he says, I received your letter, and it's in relation to Irgun Yeshurun. Now, and he explains, I'll summarize it very simply. In Germany, there was a very strong youth movement that was called Ezra. Ezra would be what we call, I would say, B'nai Akiva in the United States. And this youth movement is very important for young people 
not to feel isolated, not to feel lonely. When you're from, I grew up in the Bronx, the loneliness of a young kid growing up in the Bronx, being a Shema Torah mitzvah, was indescribable. 700,000 Jews, barely 10 families, if that many, that were Shema Torah mitzvah. So you needed a young, you needed a young Israel, or more than young Israel at that time, B'nai Akiva, it gave you a feeling of, I'm part of a group. I'm not alone. I'm, I'm not. I'm not idiosyncratic. People believe it strengthens you. In Germany, you had Ezra. In France, before World War II, there was total assimilation. With World War II and what happened, the refugees and what happened in the Arab countries that were under the French protectorate, uh, you got more and more Jews, more and more observance. And Yeshurun was formed that the young people should have an organization and be able to express their Yiddishkeit and feel Jewish and observant. But then you had DPs coming in from Europe survivors. And some of them were really from, didn't lose their from kite. And they look upon Yeshurun, this is Torah, boys and girls in one organization together. Worse than that, boys and girls singing Zmirat, Shire Kodesh together, Ko Isha. And this is the heart of the question. It's a classic question. I have to tell you, this question came up in B'nai Akiva. I can tell you many examples. But if my memory is correct, both Rav Hutner and Chaim Berlin and the Lubavitcher Rebbe were asked this question about B'nai Akiva, and both wouldn't answer. They turned away. They wouldn't answer. Uh, you follow this is part of what we, you asked me a half hour ago. This is part of it, part of it. And, and, and you've got to remember, Shleimah Lekarbach, remember what we always talk about, laugh and cry. The, the Rebbe, he was told, leave Chabad, you're a disgrace. Boys and girls sing together. You, have, you invite boys, and then Shleimah Lekarbach said, it's recorded, it's the doctorate on him gives you the footnotes. Offenbach's doctorate, Ophir's doctorate, which is an excellent work too. He said, if, if I wouldn't have boys and girls together, no boys would come. He said, one boy would come and that boy had mental problems. You follow? Nowadays, Chabad all over the world, whoever dreamt, you would have Chabad centers where it's run by a woman. Take uh, in, in Germany, there's one community where the rabbi died, young, young, in his 40s, young. And his Rebbitson said, I'm here to stay, and she's running the whole show. Follow? It's a, an interact today. Karl Bach would be a hero in Chabad outreach. What he accomplished, what, we just, what I just cited to you about the young Israel. So this is the question that came to him. 
and uh, and he explains you follow in the 1930s when you have Yeshurun in Paris no one would criticize it thank God we have boys and girls that observe Shabbos you understand it was unheard of France was the height of assimilation Rabbi Yisrael Salanta decades before knew his famous quote that if we speak Lush and Haran Kovna, they're Machalo Shabbos in Paris. That was Rav Yisrael Salanta's famous epigram, his witticism. But what does it tell you? He viewed Paris even worse than Berlin. The assimilation, the intermarriage, democracy, well, everything we have today. Paris was then the woke generation. And, and, but this is after World War II. And and Haredim Yidden from Poland does haste Yiddishkeit. This is Yiddishkeit. What's going on here? And they're criticizing. And this individual turns to Rav Yechiel Yaakov, and he says, "All right, you're asking me two questions. One question: boys and girls mixing together. The other question: Kalisha. Now." Boys and girls mixing together, there's no question we have to do everything in our power to keep a separation. This goes back to the, I've spoken about this many times, the Gemara, the whole Sugir and Sukkah, Dafnun Aleph, Tikkun Gadol, that in the Beis Hamikdash, the boys and girls, when they were near each other, they, there was interplay which was not respectful. So they made a Tikkun Gadol, they experimented, go through the Gemara and Sukkah of the men in front, the women in back, etc., etc., up, down. Finally, they came to the conclusion of Mechitza. And this is why, again, like I told you at the start of Shia about uh, calling the, the Chavrei Knesset, I appointed a Shliach in my name, to use my name. Uh, why are they, don't realize this whole question of the Kotel Quote the Gemara and Sukkah. This is where Mechitza began. How can you come to the Mokam HaMikdash, to the Kotel, and allow prayer without a Mechitza? Understand, let them look at the Gemara. So, all right, he goes through and he quotes the, uh, the Shulchan Aruch HaRechaim Siman Tuf Kaf Chaf Tet Sif Dalet. I know, I know, I know that simon very well. Chayavim beitin lamid shoklim beregalim shelo yitarvu anashim vinashim beitehem besimcha. In other words, when you have a cholamayj, you're not working. All right, the men and the women, there are men in the world, the women in the world. Thank God, if there wouldn't be men and women and there wouldn't be the Yetzirah Hatov for sex in a positive fashion, I'm quoting the Medrash now, none of us would be sitting here. So, but, but you don't want licentious behavior. So you have to have God's station and uh, Cholomoyed to keep everyone apart, men here, women here. That's one one question. Yeah, 
Separate the men and women. How can you bring them together? By the way, this goes on in Israel too. You have Bnei Akiva, you have Ezra. I think there's another group. I forget the... Ariel, Ariel right. That's, uh, that's also out there. It's originally Bnei Akiva. It's more of a Har Chomar, break away. Ezra, there's not much difference between them. Halachal Lemaisa, uh, I've had grandchildren in, uh, in certainly Bnei Akiva and certainly in, in Ezra. I don't know about Ariel. But Baruch Hashem, they all worked out. Okay, the question of Kol Isha Eva Brachat Haftalid Amir Aleph. It starts a big sukya, uh, and 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 here's what I said to Abe. Abe, I'll tell you a story that I've told many times over the last sixty-three uh, years. This happened in YU. It happened to David Miller. You know Rav David Miller. You can verify the story with him. Uh, Rav David Miller went over to the Rav and he said, can you go to an opera? And the Rav said, what's the problem? And the David said, Kolisha. And the Rav said, you know what Kolisha is? And the Rav walked away. Uh, as a matter of fact, I can tell you, Ellie, I'm letting out all the secrets. At my age, I keep no secrets. I can tell you, Eidat Nemana, that the Rav and later we found Rav Hutna, they went to operas in Berlin. How, do, how can I tell you, Eidat Nemana? I was only born 1930, I was born Joe DiMaggio's second year in the major leagues. This, the, the Rav was already in America five years when I was born. Well, how do I know? Charlie, let me tell you. I don't know, I, I was a bright kid. I, I befriended people even when I was a little nothing. Here I am in college, and you remember Dean Zah, does that mean anything to you, Rav Shmuel Eib Zah? And, and uh, we were good friends. And Rav Shmuel Eib says to me, I'm quoting word by word, your Rebbe owes me a ticket to the opera. I say, Dr. Zah, what are you talking about? I spoke English with him, by the way. He was, his English was fabulous. I mean, I, I, I don't even recall that there was an accent. But he was a litvish, he was a telsum. And uh, he tells me the following story, which in my own research I verified. It's very simple. Rav Moshe was in America. The Rav was in Berlin, 1930. 19, Rav, Rav Moshe arrived in America the end of 1929. He gave his first year December 1929 in the yeshiva. So he's in America, 1930, 1931. The Rav first came, 1932. If you've read Shulamit Meiselman's memoir, which on this level is not too complimentary to Rav Meisha, the apple of his eye was the Rav. In other words, when you have many children, you've got to treat them equally. I don't have to tell you what the the whole question about Yaakov Avinu and the Yosef and the Ketonet Pasim, Norm, plenty of Mepharshim, good or bad, no comment now. So, how does he get to the Rav in Berlin? You know, it's not like today you get in a plane and every Jew has money. Dean Zah was a Litvak. His family, oh, you won't believe, his family ran away to South Africa after World War One. 
Charlie, I met Dean Zah's nephew in Cape Town. I fainted. The image of his uncle. The image. So Dean Zah saved up money, and every two years he visited his mother, who was widowed in Cape Town. Bring in a abyssal nachas. Okay? Reb Moshe heard he was going to Cape Town. He said, do me a favor and detour to Berlin. Bring me back a report about my son. You know who paid for the detour? It cost extra money. He docked in Hamburg, had to go. Jacob Feiner. Mr. Feiner, that's the Rabbi Feiner today, who's so famous in uh, Lawrence, in the white shoe. I believe it's, it, it's his great-grandfather. Not his grandfather, it's his great-grandfather. He was very close to the Salavechiks. Salavechik family always was Makatoiva to the Feiner family. Maris Feiner, Rabbi Feiner, his son, worked for the Community Service Division in Yeshiva. He understood Reb Moshe longs for his son, wants to get a living report. He paid for the detour. So, Reb Shmuel Leib, my research turned this off. Reb Shmuel Leib comes to Berlin, the Rabfa brengt with them, and the Rab says, I'm going to take you to an opera. It never happened. He had to get on, a, whatever, another boat to go to South Africa, and he says to me, your Rebbe owes me an opera. All right. If that isn't Mesiyach Lefit Tumo, I need it Nemanah. Now, with Rav with, with Hutner, research was done Red Deutsch. I don't know, I can't go into many details now. The, the Liozna Rebbe, he did research in Borough Borough Park, he has an academic mind, and he claims, I believe he claims he came up with he had a season's ticket to the opera, Rav Hutta. So, you understand, this is not a simple question. What, the, yeah, Elia? Yeah, maybe that they changed their mind afterwards. I mean, maybe they were, you know, young fellows. So, so what, you're saying, what you're saying is, chat chat nu'urim. So, I should really smack your face. You're saying the Rav and Rav Hutna were normal teenagers like we were. We play the shit like them. You don't read Art Scroll. That's the problem. But uh, I want to consider they were tzaddikim. But you see, there's a very delicate question. Now, now more than that, it, it's not just the opera. See, what the Rub was really saying to, De- to David, and the way I understand it, if it's licentious, if it's Madonna singing, Avada, that's Kalisha. It's, like, it's what we said yesterday, Toeva. It leads to toeva. That's licentious. We But it could be a, an opera star, a big fat lady singing in the face, a whatever opera. I have a friend, a tzaddik Yisodolim. He's not well. Anyone my age already. He and he, he's a he's a wealthy Jew who gave gave the Rebbe one million dollars a year, among other tzaddikim. For opera, he could travel from Israel to Italy just to attend three operas. You follow? He'd work it out a week. An opera, God, he'd be in heaven. 
he'd be in heaven. Do you have season tickets to the opera? To the opera in, in, in where in Tel Aviv? You do Shalai, Kala Kavada, even knowing you wouldn't be in peace 50 years ago. That, 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 is that right? You guys, you guys held like the Rav. Uh, you, you know what Kalisha is. Now, so it's a delicate question. Uh, there's no two ways about it. And you, yeah, you'll see sources, if not today, you'll see next week what I have. It's a delicate question. But there's another part to this question. Boys and girls are singing together. Trey Kol Lom You don't hear when they're singing. What are you hearing? You're hearing a group. So he goes through the halacha and cites the sources and a lot of Sephardic sources, and you can come out with a heter. But he says, it's not the halacha involved here. What we have here is the only salvation that French jury can have. I'm quoting him word by word. Mm-hmm. Do you realize that this is exactly what I answered an hour ago? Remember the question I got? How do we create Jews, all the assimilation? Pride. And, and this was B'nai Akiva. You know what it meant? I lived in a building, let's say there were 80 families. There was a front of the building, a back of the building. 80 families, at least half were Jewish. Who was Shemesh Shabbos? Who was Shemesh? I don't believe there was one family. There was one family, I, I write about it, I didn't mention the name, but I can mention the name today. In front of the first, on the front of the building, Mr. Weinstein. And he was a Yudapayesha who knew how to learn. Came home from work, Shabbos. He worked five and a half days, half a day, Shabbos. Changed his clothes, made Kiddush, and sat down and learned Gemara. And if I had a Shaila, I was starting to learn. I couldn't ask my father. I couldn't ask my grandfather. My grandfather was a Shema Shabbos all his life. But he didn't know how to learn. My father certainly uh, couldn't answer me. I used to go to Mr. Weinstein. But you felt You went to B'nai Akiva, right? It was, uh, for me, a 25-minute walk. For my wife, a 40-minute walk. You went to B'nai Akiva? Oh, my. Boys and girls, Shomrei Torah Mitzvot, Eretz Yisrael. What came out of that B'nai Akiva from the East Bronx? Vic, all of Yehuda Vishomran came out of it. Am I pulling your leg or not? Who? Miriam Beinhorn Levinger. Chevron, Kiyataba. Abe, where you live, give thanks to B'nai Akiva. East Bronx, Mizracha, Ken Mizracha.
Absolutely. BMT, Norm, we revolutionized the Anglo-Torah world. Yesterday I gave a gift, the last volume of Washington I had to give away. I gave it to my first Rebbe in YU's great-grandson, who's learning here. Mark Wiener befriended him and brought him in, Tzvi Metachin, to meet me. And I see a tall, good-looking kid who sits it out. I gave him, I wrote a beautiful inscription. It's a moment in time that I was like to give a volume I wrote to the great-grandson of my first Rebbe, Rebbe Michal Katz. 51 to 53 was my Rebbe. And in the volume is a picture of me with Michal Katz. And in the text, I describe the Bronx, their home. Read it. But, rep, rep, rep. Yechiel Yaakov here has deep understanding. It's not just halacha. And, and the way he describes it, it's like the United States today. It's like England today. It's it, the assimilation. And he says, you can't say this is totally forbidden. All right. But we're living in France. That's a powerful paragraph. And it's so true. Beautiful. I would add... Irgun Ezra Ba'ashkenaz ve Irgun Yeshurim B'Tzafat ve B'nei Akiva B'Yatzot Abret at my time. But he has something else here. I can't get over his insight. A problem that we, we struggle with today. Feminism. My wife, I told you yesterday, she's part of the old generation. She's happy not to leave the house. The minute, the minute she heard that she was expecting, she, she was teaching, she had a degree and everything, and stopped teaching, that was it. Devoted herself entirely to the raising the three daughters. Do they appreciate it? Yeah. In retrospect, we're lucky they appreciate it. It was a unique mother. But feminism, look what we have today. Did you see the Olam Katan of last Friday? A whole section, a separate paper on all the Upanot and Midrashot for women. I would say in the state of Israel today, a young lady growing up has 100 different choices to make. And the world is open to them. Uh, I have students, I told you my dermatologist is my student from Michlala. 
My wife's neurologist is the sister, a younger sister of the lady I taught in Michlala. And then the women are all over. Everything is open to them. So whenever I can, I always say, and others say the same thing, I've seen Gedole HaPoskim, if we can, we don't look for humors when it comes to women. If we can be mata, we should be mata. I just had a Shaila came up, a woman in St. Kaddish for her father. Absolutely. Woman wants to say Kaddish? I, I have the rub, says Eidut Memanah, that women were saying Kaddish in the Goyen Stiebel in Vilna. I have that in my, in my work on the rub. I give you the source. Rabban Salavechik published a volume in memory of his grandson, and in that volume you will find where a baron also. We, 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 women today, that family, you don't want a woman to feel that Torah Hashem does not respect her and does not understand her. All right? By the way, we have in Israel, thank God, women speaking in our world, in the Haredi world, the semi-Haredi world, uh, I don't have to tell you, open up all in Katan, you have Rahab Sivan, you have another woman, you have, you have from Reb Chaim Kanevsky's family, his daughter, his, his wife's the Colonel of Racha. Wow. So, here Reb Yechid is very sensitive. He says, what are you going to do? You're going to tell the women not to sing, not to sing Shirei Kodesh? Not to sing Zmirat? He says, these women who are educated and study, he describes the curriculum, science, languages, and they have a feeling, Regesh Kovod Atzmi, women, self-respect, She's not secondary. And then you're going to tell them it's also for them to sing Zmirat Kodesh? You're going to lose them. You're going to put them down. You're going to push them away. All right, this is the halacha. But now this is the heart of the tshuva. This is the only one who could ever write like this and it's cited and recited. And he says, this is not Eastern Europe. In Eastern Europe, well, today I would put in a footnote, Fiddler on the Roof. What do you see in Fiddler on the Roof? The women, the eldest, happy to continue the traditions. The younger ones get education. One already is a Buddhist. One already runs off with a guy. He says, this was Eastern Europe. By the way, I just want to tell you in parentheses that Fiddler on the Roof, the production, the play, has tremendous skuyat. I taught two students in the Kolel not related, whose parents became from, from, from one song in Fiddler on the Roof. 
tradition. Tradition. Yeah? Just think what I'm telling you. Two students, when, you, when I say I taught two students, you're talking today, their grandparents. Can even be tens of descendants, Shaiman Torah Mitzvah, because of tradition. And he says, and in Germany, we have from women that I'm quoting him, Mekaimot et Hamitzvah Behit Lahavut. We educate them. We welcome them. Quoting the story I told you an hour ago. I'm on the train. Charlie, you have any idea who the dentist could have been? It's, 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 it's before your time, 10 years, let's say. But wow, I owe him a thanks. When he told me his wife wears a shaitel, I was shaken. Here, intelligent women. They wore shaitels. And, and, and happily, with feeling, and, and he says, this is in Eastern Europe, you never saw it. But here, if we tell an intelligent woman, it will tell them, and these women educated, high school, college, in America, graduate school. I remember the Rav saying, you rabbis will have a shul where all your congregants will have bachelor degrees. Today you deal with shoes, everyone has a doctorate. Forget about a bachelor's. What is it? A master's. What is it? And, and you push these women away. And we absolutely have to be mate. Now, there's a... Excuse me, excuse me. One, one, one second, one second, one second. The, the, I, I, the most important part is right here, and I want to make it clear. But let, yeah, what are you asking? I'm saying under what circumstances? In the families, uh, you know, when the, 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 the father, the mother, and the, and the children all sing together? Uh, are we talking about an early stage? No, 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 no. You're talking here in a youth group. Father, mother sing together. Uh, let, leave, leave that for next week, Benzrat Hashem. But uh, you're talking here in a youth group, B'nai Akiva. But you're talking Shirei Kodesh. You're not talking uh, uh, lewd, licentious songs. It's not, again, I use the expression Madonna. She, I don't know if you're aware, she's in the news all over today. Saying she changed her face, I don't understand it. Something with cosmetic surgery and they're criticizing her. And she says it's just a bunch of mis mis misogynists that were criticizing and, but I, I want you to know, Madonna has schuyot. You know what I'm talking about? She, she's, she goes to the Kabbalah, Kabbalah service. And, but that's not, forget about that. When I was in South Africa, she, I remember it was screaming headlines. She changed her name to Esther. And the Pope criticized her. So one of my talks, because she was born a Catholic, and they say the reason she is what she is, 
is she, as a, a 13-year-old girl, 14-year-old girl, she expressed an interest in boys and the nuns put her down that she's an icebox, she's a nothing, interested in boys, carnal pleasure, you know, the Catholic Church. And she said, that's why she rebelled. So when she changed her name to Esther, the Pope criticized her. I, sp- I remember one of my public talks in either Cape Town or, or, or uh, uh, Johannesburg, I said, if she could get the Pope upset, I'm a fan of hers. Oh, the people loved it. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, here, here, here is the most famous and most widely quoted part. And he says, look, we have to understand that we have to pask in what is good for France, what, what, what was good in Germany. And he says, in Germany and now in France, we have educated people, men, women, many balay tshuva, and we did not see that in Europe, Eastern Europe. And he says, that in Poland and Russia, they didn't know how to adjust the chinuch to what was happening at that time. And this is the whole challenge. This is Yeshiva University. This is America. This is Israel. This is Ravneria and, and Ravbina and all that happened. And here he tells the classic story. Rav Yisrael Salantan, as you know, traveled widely. I, you have to go back to my lectures. It's many years ago, but I, I, he traveled widely. He grew up in Lithuania and he leaves, he, he goes Vilna to Kovna, leaves Lithuania altogether and winds up in Germany and France and back to Germany and finally dies 1882 if I recall and comes to Germany, comes to Berlin and he wants to meet Rabbi Israel Hildesheimer got to remember that Rabbi Sjöfvall here was a Stadtrav alright he organized the reality school, the high school but uh, this was elementary Torah education Rav Hildesheimer organized a Beismedishle Rabbanim a seminar, the Orthodoxia, the seminar for the Orthodoxia Judentum, the Berlin Seminar for Orthodox Jury. And all the Rabbanim were practically all over Germany by the late 1800s were all come with them of the seminary. 1900s, one by one by one, you can, the Rosneck family, Karlbach family, Kohn for endless names. So, Rav Salanta wanted to meet Rav Hildesheimer. And he evidently made an appointment. And he comes in in Berlin to the seminary. And the secretary tells him that uh, Rav Hildesheimer is in the middle of giving a shayur in the auditorium. And he can go in and afterwards they'll talk. Goes into, opens the door, goes into the auditorium. The whole audience, women, 
and he's giving a shear in halacha and sources. And I quote Rav Salanta now, word by word, if this would happen in Lithuania, a Rav giving a shear, I'm quoting him to young women and betulot, they would put him in cherem. And they are correct for doing it. Here in Germany, I see what Rav Hildesheimer is doing. Yehi chelki b'gan Eden im hagoin chatzatik Rebezreel Hildesheimer. And you see, this great individual of Yehi he had the breadth of vision to understand Chinuch cannot be the same all over. You have to deal with the individual in his environment, where he is living, what the challenges are, what the influences are, and you have to be Machanachim within that tent, that encampment. And hit the nail on the head. Poland, Litter, Freuen, Tiflut, the Mishnah and Salta, teaching women, France, Germany, absolutely. And, and he goes on and on, he goes on and on in this Shiva, the difference between Eastern Europe and Western Europe. And there's descriptions here, you might think he's describing America. And, and he says, the family in France, they have totally forgotten tradition. There's no sign of life and what a description and this this is exactly one of the my times in America there's a hotel in North Miami Beach the the owners are all Talmudim of mine, uh, I would say admirers of mine, pardon me for using the word. So I could always stay there, Chinam and Kesef. I did them favors too. I once came for Pesach, I can, you know, the whole Pesach, I gave lectures, it was an attraction. I did that once, then I was supposed to do it a second time. It's a funny story, and it turns out that one of the owners had an investment in a big uh, Pesach program in Princeton, New Jersey. And they call me in Israel, they say, look, we want you to do us a big favor. We have local talent in Miami Beach, but we want you to go to Princeton. And uh, I asked why, and they told me the story. Shmuli Boteach, Rabbi Boteach, was invited to be the scholar in residence at this Pesach program in Princeton. Some of the people complained. 
Uh, you understand, he's a character. Uh, there's a lot of good in him, don't misunderstand me. But nevertheless, kosher sex, as a bestseller, some of the people feel it's a little uh, too uh, risque, I'll use that word. So they had to disinvite him. Now they needed someone. So I said, look, if it's good, I, I said, if it's going to help you, I'll die. And Takai went, and it was a very, very nice experience. It turned out the mashkiach was a no-you hechsha, and noam. And the mashkiach was a Talmud of mine from BMT, the early 70s. And he showed me the kitchen. You know, there's a big problem because you're dealing, the people working are not Jewish. And you can be mashkiach, you can turn the lights on, you can do all that, turn on the fire. But what do you do one day yantif to another? They're cooking yantif afternoon, first thing yantif, five o'clock, and you're going to first be eating eight o'clock at night after Marev. So he had to see to it that people went into the kitchen and tasted the food. If only showed me the ins and outs of the little things that you never thought of when you give haksha. And, but it was fascinating. Charlie, I'll tell you what else was fascinating. All the cake, and it was endless, because this place, you couldn't walk Dalaramat without being accosted by food placed here. Uh, 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 chips, potato chips, cake, and all the cake imported from Berman's Bakery in Israel. And they told me, I checked it out with the caterer, whose family is related to me by marriage to my brother, I checked it out with the caterer. They live in Bethel. I checked it out with the caterer. He said to me, yeah, we place a $25,000 order and it's shipped, you know, in, in a boat and it's uh, in a, a place, a freezer, refrigerator, the cream and everything. He says, oh, it's $25,000 and let's say another $5,000 for the shipping and everything, refrigeration. He says if we were to buy it in America, $50,000 minimum. So it's good for Israel and Baruch Hashem, the cake, uh, what can I tell you? Norm, not healthy if you want to keep your diet in place. But uh, I, I, sp I, I spoke there and in this Marco Polo Hotel the, in, in North Miami Beach, uh, uh, Next to it was near North Miami Beach. It wasn't. It was in sunny, 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 sunny Isles. Sunny Isles. It was called. So in this hotel, the last time I was there, I Satma Chassid is there with his wife, teaching in the Satma High School in Queens, and I looked at him. I felt an affinity. It reminded me of myself, Charlie, in the 1960s, and I got to talk with him. I couldn't believe who I was talking with, a Satma Chassid, a total pagan, totally assimilated. What are his values? He looked at me, living in Israel, he didn't give me any of the Satma's uh, viewpoint. You don't make a living there. Money, Kesef, Mamon, the God, pleasure. He says, I love it, I come to the hotel two weeks a year. Oh, so wonderful. Ellie, that is America. Here I rejoice. My grandson's book will soon be available. 
I have a grandson who wrote a, a grandson of Talmud Chacham, Yereshamayim, a great husband, married to the Chatam Seifers and Enikel, children, my great-grandchildren, many, Baruch Hashem, a book on the history of tanks in warfare. This is Israel, Baruch Hashem, Ashreni Shesachinu. But, wow, he... Fabulous. I can go on and on. He's describing America today. Total assimilation. T no ideology of Am Yisrael, of, of the people of Israel. The unity. And, and he goes on and on. He says, and I'm going to say something very important in a minute. goes on and on that it gives them a feeling they're more Jews. No longer isolation. That's good modern Hebrew. Uh, it gives them a feeling Kilo Alman Yisrael. Now, let me tell you how important this is and let you in on secrets that I couldn't talk about uh, before too old to us under a security clause. The tremendous operation that went on from here to Russia, all the shluchim that were sent, uh, so we had two different levels of shluchim. One level that I was played a big role in, I'll say, no one used the word responsible for, but uh, I played a very big mark on myself from 1980 to 1990 when everything dissipated. Iron Curtain fell, we sent people who could teach Torah. I was sent originally, they scouted me to teach Gemara. The refused to ask for a Rebbe who could teach Gemara. And we kept that chain going for 10 years. So we had to send couples in their 40s, 50s. I even sent a couple in their 60s. It's not so simple. You have to be able to live under pressure. It's, uh, you know, the communists, are they going to throw me out? Are they following me, etc.? That's one type of pressure. The other pressure simply is, if you go in most of the year in Russia, it's very cold. Vic Snow went down to a lot and he couldn't handle it. The hotels are built for the summer, not for the winter. But uh, Russia is winter almost all year. And it, it, uh, you have to be able to function 30 below zero, 20 below zero. Uh, wow. All right, that was one type of shaluach. But you can understand his goal to teach. All right. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Pesach, Shvuot. We sent college kids. Millions of dollars invested in sending college kids. Charlie, why? 
these kids couldn't teach. They're not sure, you know, you can send professors, medical doctors, they have what to give. These were kids. Why? I'll tell you why. Just what Rabbi Chil Yaakov said, Am Yisrael Chai, Lo Amman Yisrael. You know what it meant in the one shul that each community had? There was, what, one, what, I'm using a communist word now, one functional synagogue, one functional church. They allowed one, which they, KGB agents, Jewish KGB, we know all the time. Imagine what it meant. He had this kid visiting, and uh, he gets up, and they machabed him with maftir. And the kid reads the Haftorah, like the grandparents remember hearing 60, 70 years ago when they were growing up in a shtetl. They were overwhelmed. Am Yisrael Chai. And, and lo alman Yisrael. There's continuity. These kids we sent, uh, this is the famous story, I write about it, I've lectured about it, it's worth a movie. Ellie, why don't you st- forget about your PhD in physics and, be- and go to Spielberg and produce a movie together that we Jewish people can make a Shefi Yonawan a Tova HaMetev. Very simple. The kid comes, goes into the shtibble, and they could barely speak Yiddish. And the shtibble on the side of the big shul in Moscow uh, had a lot of chabatnikim, old-timers, old-timers. And uh, this kid was broken Yiddish, is trying to explain, I'm from Yeshiva University, I'm a Talmud of Rapsalovechik, uh, and a man jumps up, comes over to him, and uh, says, It's true what I heard, that you're a Talmud of Rav Soloveitchik, and someone's translating into English for him. He says, It's my not Talmud. That's my Talmud. And uh, the kid looks at him, what do you mean? And he says, I'm the Rebbe who taught him in Cheta in Chaslavich. Bring him agris, bring him regards. Farisberg, that was the last name, Farisberg. We read, read, read the Rav, I have all the details there. It's a true story. And the kid comes back to America and uh, the Rav finishes Shir. It's Menachem Kasdan, psychologist. I believe he lives in Israel, by the way, today. The Kasdan family, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And uh, he comes back to Israel, comes back to America, the Rav finishes Shir. No, uh, you're tired, finish Shir. It's no youngster. And he says, Rebbe, I have regards. Yeah, the Rav is like... Uh, no, big deal, regards. A million people are sending regards to the Rav. He says, from your Rebbe, Rabbi Riesberg, the Rav jumps up, says, Kenish sign, it can't be. 
and they start talking and thinking, making the cheshbon of the years. I asked that Torah, what happened that Shabbat? The Rebbe was staying with his uh, wonderful daughter and son-in-law, of Yitzchak Tweski, Zeichatzadik Levrachel, Lahabdil, Lihbadel, Lechaim, Tov, Maruchim, Atara Tweski. Atara told me the whole Shabbos at Given Azei Ibigarasht. He was like, I can't say it in English. Ibigarasht, just. All he was talking about, my Rebbe from Cheder is still alive. My Talmud met him in Moscow. Now, you see what happens? So, everyone there was talking about it. They go home, they talk about it. Any youngster seeking a Brekel Yiddishkeit, a little Jewish identity, these kids, I'm Yisrael Chai. All right, they couldn't teach. They wouldn't go in. And I was there. I could speak. I would speak whatever language they wanted, either Hebrew or English. They would tell me according to the audience. And someone would stand next to me and translate. I remember when I spoke for the scientist, I spoke about the medical, about the hospitals like Sharet Tzedek and Laniado running up Pi Halacha. Spoke in English. They said, speak in English. These aside, someone had a word or two, they would translate to Russian. My other talks were in Hebrew. They were learning Hebrew. Yuli Edelstein and uh, many others, many others, they knew any word I used. They didn't know it was a translator. They had people who really knew current modern Hebrew. In the smaller cities, it was interesting, I spoke in Yiddish or Hebrew, according to their request. They're already, it was in Leningrad, it was in Moscow, they didn't know English so well. But Yiddish comes a Baruch Hashem says, given Mamaloshin for feel Yidden. Anyone over 40 in the 80s, his basic language was Yiddish when he was a kid. So, but this is what Rabbi Yechiel Yaakov says and and he and he says Kilo Alman Yisrael, and and he says and what's the result of this? I can't get over this. Literally, the way I grew up, Hemo the Din Zeetze Beruach Umizar Zazim Zeetze Shalolichit Bayesh Bifnei Hamalgi Gim Mikedavachem Vikrovechem. And he says they gain confidence. They're not embarrassed. And you have to understand, your friends laugh at you. Your family laughs at you. What are you, old-fashioned? What are you, outlandish, outmodish? What kind of behavior? What Shabbat can spread? Why can't you eat? Pigs are slaughtered today in sanitary conditions. I heard that with my own ears. And, and, and... In France and Germany, they succeeded. And just to achieve this, self-respect, confidence, He says, for this alone, I want to stress how great this organization is, what they have accomplished. And this chuba is epic-making. 
the most widely cited tshuva, not so much for the halacha, it's the insight, the story of Rav Hildesheimer. Now, I want to tell you, coming back now to Mark Shapiro's doctorate, so beginning on page 215, he discusses this tshuva, and he raises here, beginning on page 215, I think, I think there's a little bit of my influence in, uh, on Mark. He raises here the whole question. When you get, you know, he talks, the fact that the people accepted the tshuva, the right-wing, Uzmakatre, uh, uh, the very word that Rabbi Phil Yaakov used, criticized, found fault with the tshuva, but uh, Mark has a whole discussion when you write a tshuva, are you totally subjective or are you totally objective? Which plays the bigger role? So I have to tell you, I had a Rebbe, Rebbe Yeruchim Gerelik, you all know the name. Rebbe Yeruchim once described the Rav answering his Shaila as going in to a laboratory which is totally air-controlled. It's like some of the laboratories in Machon Lev. They once gave me a, a tour of the building. You had to walk in, wear special clothes. You couldn't breathe. No, nothing could be in the air that would affect the experiments. All right, that's totally objective. Or is there subjectivity? So as I've said so many times, and Mark says it here, could be he has to cite me, when you're dealing with issues of Aguna and Mamzerut, you have to be subjective. You have to write that shiva. When you get the shaila, you have to say to yourself, how can I be makil? How can I help? I lectured on this. I actually published Rakofar Aaron Chela Gimel. You'll have all the sources. It's actually an open medrash rubber and... Uh, uh, the the shach the kuntas hashach and psak in yeradayer reish membet at chulu b'chulu yeah there we have to do everything we can to help we have to be subjective other times could be we have to be more objective uh, even though there are considerations again when you study yeradayer like I've told you so many times uh, erev shabbos erev yontev. Orchim, Hefzid, Maruba, poor people, whenever it's a Dinder all these factors play a big role. But in this Jiva, uh, Mark claims, and I think rightfully so, that when Rabbi Chil Yaakov was asked the question, he knew right away he had to be Mekhil, because if not, it would undermine whatever Shmirat Shabbat there was in Paris at that time. So when he wrote the tshuva, he he had to find sources to buttress his lenient opinion. He devotes all his halachic energy to finding a halachic way to reach the goal with a mamza and an aguna, and usually succeeds. I would put in the footnote today, see Rakhafet Aaron Chelekimel. Similarly, when the fate of thousands of young Jews was in the balance, Weinberg did not consider pros and cons objectively. 
Rather, he approached the discussion with a set goal and went about finding the halachic sources to identify with it. All right. Uh, we have more to do. I wouldn't miss next week's year for Lower Lane, all the missiles and bullets that have been fired in the Russia and the Ukraine today. It's a sad situation there. You know, we take for granted already it's over a year and uh, no end in sight and worse than ever. And unless Western powers step in, I can, I don't know, Russia's going to wipe the Ukraine off the ground. And there was an article in today's Post defending Putin. Oh, I can't believe the post. It gives uh, opportunity for everyone and everybody. So today, defending Putin. Generally, they're uh, defending uprooting Yiddishkeit in the post, but uh, today it was Putin's turn to be defended. All right. So to reiterate, what do we said today? today? The whole Shia centers around the Bichil Yaakov Weinberg. Chelik Bet Tshuva Chet. Uh, I don't know in the new edition where it appears. If I do succeed in making the connection, I'll let you know. And uh, it's a powerful tshuva. It's not so much the halacha, but the man's ability to understand what's good in Eastern Europe, in Mir and Slabatka, will not necessarily be good in Berlin and Paris. And... Uh, the story with the Rasheel Hildesheimer is the most widely quoted. That's the high point of the tshuva. Uh, the story of the A-train is a good overture to what has happened. And uh, i got to give credit to Mark. He translated very nicely from the article in German where Rabbi Hildesheimer himself acknowledges what German, Germany was about and how it was different than the Torah Lishma of our Litvisha, Beis our Litvisha Yeshiva. Uh, and with it all, and we'll see next week, he can never get Mir and Slabatka out of his blood. Now, are there any questions from the wonderful students in front of me? Okay. I want to sign off with you and say until we meet again in health and happiness, Das Vidanya. Next week will be very fascinating because we get involved with Rakefet and Rabbi Tites. You'll see the sources, the follow-up, and then I introduce you to a Sefer that's one of a kind on German orthodoxy. All right. Uh, can you open it up to the world? Recording stopped. Yeah. Uh, Rabbi Rubin, uh, I'm very happy to see you. Everything is okay? Okay. Okay, because I, I tried calling you and I, I may have the wrong number. It said the number is no longer connected and I left a message. Happy to see you. Very happy. By the way, you know, you were talking about uh, Ukraine and bemoaning the fact that uh, what's happening here. Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the world. They had biolab there. They had corruption there. They had money laundering there, and they had the people uh, going after native uh, Russians. In other words, Putin is not a tzaddik, but Putin is not evil either. And uh, the Ukraine uh, is 
if Biden continues the way he's doing it, we may be in World War Three. Right. We, I, I'm sitting home very tittering. I'm telling you, I, I, it's scary because right. the, the, the world does not understand that if they continue supporting the Ukraine, World War Three is on the... Uh, and nobody wants the Mosheikh now. Right. <laughs> we only want to go Mother now, that's for sure. All right, uh, I, I read the article in today's post, and uh, uh, my right hand here, Yomo, from the very start was telling me that uh, you, the Ukraine government are not Sadikim. Uh, and he just he explained to me that Putin really believes that they're out to, uh, to, to, I would say, compromise the Soviet Union and westernize it. Whatever the reasons are, uh, Putin does not want westernization. Uh, by the way, Putin has split. It's the only country I know of uh, that uh, homos can't uh, dance n- uh, I- I- naked in public and then... In Russia, it's a crime yet. Uh, can I? It's unbelievable. All right. Uh, I, I was humbled by the article today in the Post, but uh, I'm, I'm not a great expert on Ukraine and Russia, but what you say is fascinating. Nachum Lem, I just want to tell you I agree with every word in your letter. The problem is how do we get the, the public to understand what we're talking about? And that's why I made the suggestion. I, I, the person I made it to to follow through is top reliable. He's a Talmud of mine, has a very important position, and, I, and he already knew how to get hold of this person in the Knesset. Who uh, I told him, use my name, and everyone should start their speech. We want to be no different than the great modern Western liberal United States. We want our Supreme Court elected, appointed the way they do it in the USA. All right, I don't say we're going to convince the, you know, the politicians, Lapid and Mikhail, they all have a vested interest. But it will play in the newspapers. It may open some minds. So, let's see what's happening. Uh, are there any other questions? Uh, Jack? Yeah, correction, yeah. Minor one. The story of Rav David Miller asking the Rav. Uh, yeah. I remember you telling the story at, you went not to see an opera, but to see a Broadway play. Uh, no, I thought it was an opera. Because a Broadway you, play would be more risque. There already you could have a Shiloh. I remember you telling the story, and then you said you're not sure, but you think the play was The Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, I don't know. All right. Uh, Yomo will yes, Rabbi David, and Rabbi Yomo will yes, Rabbi David, and if we have to correct ourselves, we'll be happy to make the correction next week. I remember the story that Jack is telling in a different manner than you told us. Why are you bothering me? I, my wife and I are going to the, the, the uh, opera tonight, and he mentioned uh, which opera it was. To the Rav. Yeah. Yeah, I remember opera. I don't remember Fiddler on the Roof. I remember opera. But uh, I have great derecheres of Fiddler on the Roof because the tradition there, sunrise, sunset, swiftly go the days. There's Kedusha to that. Whoever wrote it, Hatayidish Neshama, that, that wasn't uh, something stum. That, that's deep. That's deep. 
Ah, that's deep. I saw a movie, I saw a movie, Malter and I, uh, we'd watch a little at night. Uh, 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 so I saw a movie, An Apartment for Peggy. It's a 19, An Apartment for Peggy. It's a 1955 movie, I think, or a 1949 movie. It's worth watching. See, that movie, uh, e even my wife, who's my b biggest critic, agreed I'm right. I could lecture for a whole year on the topics of growing old, purpose in life. Uh, this man wants to commit suicide. This professor, his wife is dead. His son died in World War II. And it's deep, it's deep. And this young couple, uh, he's studying and they adopt him and, and it opens a whole new world for him. He looks Jewish, the top actor. I checked it out afterwards on Google. He was English, he was not Jewish, but uh, I, he, he looks to me like a Yiddish mensch that I would have known from a shtibel in the Bronx, from a shul in the Bronx. But uh, there's, there's a lot to think about. This Lahavdil, uh, Fiddler on the Roof, tradition, I would ask the Rabbi Shilas, how are you, there was so much in there that you can comment upon. All right, if I have to correct myself, I'll be happy to correct myself on, uh, on uh, next Is time. Is the movie a happy ending or a sad one? It, it, it has a semi-happy ending, a bittersweet ending. Well, you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about? A oh, Fiddler on the Roof movie, the Fiddler on the Roof. Ah, oh, Fiddler on the Roof with the assimilation is very sad. Unattested. Okay, after yeah. seeing many years, I came up with the conclusion these people sadly had to leave their community and they weren't there when Hitler arrived. What you're talking about is in Vilna, when the, the, if people wouldn't take communist citizenship, they shipped them off to Siberia, and everyone was crying. The people who were left behind never survived Hitler. And the people who wound up in Siberia, if they could survive the weather, they survived the war. So you That's never know. Okay, same idea. same idea, same idea. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. The Rav, who said it? The Rav tells the story on the efficacy of prayer. I've, said, I've quoted this, where he says, if my prayers had been answered, I wouldn't be alive, my wife wouldn't be alive, the children would be alive, and everyone, Reb Heshul also quotes the, the Rav saying it, and I, he, the Rav didn't say, I wanted that rabbinic position desperately, I didn't get it. Rakefit guesses and he claims I, I, uh, 99% correct. When you guess, you can't say 100%. I'm 100% correct. Well, arrogance, 99% correct. It had to be the Vilna Beitin to take the place of his uncle, the Avodat HaMelech. Uh, he was a nephew. And Reb Chaim probably vetoed him with all his love for the Salavechiks and Reb Chaim but he couldn't handle the fact that the Rav went to Berlin, was getting a doctorate. And because of that, the Rav wound up in the United States. Baruch Hashem. Rebbe, they, they just put up on, on Facebook, they had a picture of uh, an announcement that the Rav was giving a lecture at Merkaz HaRav. Right, right, I, I was sent to so somebody, so somebody said all the things he wanted in life, he wanted to be the Rosh Yeshiva at Skokie. 
He wanted to be the president of YU. He wanted to be the president, the chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. He wanted to be the the Magid in Vilna. All the things he wanted, he didn't get, and a good thing he didn't get any of them. Exactly. 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 There's a there's a line there's a line in Vic Geller's memoir that how he, there was so much opposition to appointing him Rosh Hashiva in YU. And they finally gave him a one-year contract. They would, and they, and he, and he said, "Why you got the greatest deal in its entire history, and it got it Balkachaya a new amen." All right, I got to clear out. There's another class coming in. We meet again in health and happiness. Big Yashakayach for honoring me with your presence. We continue on uh, Sunday. It'll be very fascinating. I'm coming into a shaila. I don't know of anyone else that's dealt with it, and it brings me back to memories of Philadelphia. Until we meet again in health and happiness, das vidanya.